I love that framing of the longer I'm in the software game, the more I want things to be calm. Jesus, I want a bumper sticker and a t-shirt and uh Hello and welcome to another episode of The Bike Shed, a weekly podcast from your friends at ThoughtBot about developing great software. I'm Steph Vicari. And I'm Chris Toomey. And together we're here to share a bit of what we've learned along the way. So as a quick recap, in the previous episode, we reviewed our top 10 list from 2019, but now we're going to dive into the top 10 list of 2020. 2020, a year that was a decade that was a heck of a thing. Uh, But starting off, Steph, what is your first item on the top 10 list for 2020? I'll admit this was challenging thinking through like what sort of our top themes or top moments from this year, just because there has been a, a lot of heartbreak from this year. So my list really focuses more on themes that I noticed in 2020 that have really resonated with me. So my first one is one-on-ones. So around March, I became a team lead and starting having one-on-ones with teammates. And I have found that I have really enjoyed that time where I get to sit down with a colleague and I get to hear about their project and their day, some of their struggles, also where they're headed with their career, what they're interested in. I was initially nervous about it when becoming a team lead, just wondering if I would, frankly, if I'd be good at this role and then how the one-on-ones would go. But I have found that I really enjoy it. And I think one-on-ones are an incredibly powerful way to not only stay in touch with your team, but also be an advocate for your colleagues and make sure that they are achieving the success that they're looking to reach. That's my first strong theme that I wanted to highlight from 2020 is the enjoyment that I've received from one-on-ones. So how about you? What's one of your top themes or tech picks for 2020? I like how you framed it as or tech picks because, uh, yes, my list is decidedly more technical. This has been sort of a year of transition for me. And so I've been on smaller teams moving between things. I have not had one-on-ones this year. So as a result of that whole collection of things, my picks are going to skew very technical. Uh, But that's good. Then, you know, we got a nice balance here. It'll be fun. So starting out, my first one will be Tailwind. I think this is the first real project that I latched onto this year. And since I've just only grown to appreciate more and more. So Tailwind is a utility-first CSS framework. Uh, which I had never really worked with before. I tried basically every other type of CSS there is, object-oriented CSS, BEM, styled components, CSS modules, SAS, less. I've, I've done so many different forms of CSS. And I'll be honest that I've never found one that even felt reasonable. Like everything always had a ton of pain points. And there probably are some with Tailwind that I just haven't hit, but it really shifts things around. The utility first thing is really interesting. And then Tailwind is such a beautiful way to do the utility first thing where it's also got sort of a sneaky design system built in or at least really encourages you in that direction and so i for the first time in my career feel like i am effectively authoring css but in a way that i won't regret down the road my designs as i'm implementing them feel more coherent and put together and are so much easier to do and so much easier to rip out and my style sheets are smaller somehow Overall, just absolutely fantastic. Um, Just referencing back episode 252 of The Bike Shed, which we'll include a link to, I talked a good bit more about Tailwind and what I was appreciating about it at the time, which all remains true, and if only more so now. I do love the balance that I find that we tend to bring to the show, where it's not uncommon for me to be working on a longer engagement. So my experience with some of the newer, hotter tech is something that I don't get to experience as frequently. But then I show up and you're like, Steph, let me tell you, (laughs) there's this new hotness that you need to try. So it's been delightful. I'm still excited to try out Tailwind on a project. It's an interesting and I would say excellent balance that uh, that we get to strike here for these conversations. Uh, But yeah, that wraps up my first choice. So on to you for your second choice. 
My second one is more technical. It won't be like too much of a shocker, but my second one's Rails because I have continued to work in Rails in 2020. It is still a very strong like framework that I absolutely love. And there are so many improvements that are still being invested into Rails and Ruby and into the community. And there's a number of times where I've been chatting with others who are working on projects where they're not working with Rails or working with some other language or framework. And they have said like, oh, I'd really love to just be back on a Rails project and feel really productive and just be in that sort of like zenful state of where you can crank out features. And the number of times that I've heard that in addition to the own joy that Rails has brought to my year, I had to, I had to bring it in at number two. Also, Rails 6.1 is about to drop, and I am so excited because I saw something being introduced called Error Objects. I haven't looked into it yet, but I will because we're going to talk about it next time, but it looks dope. I saw that only in passing. I am equally excited. I look forward to chatting about it in the future. I don't have Rails on my list, but interestingly, if I think about it, I have sort of had a revisiting of Rails. I had been working on a lot of API projects with very heavy client-side interactions, and a lot of my work has been pulling logic back to the server and getting back to a more familiar Rails workflow, which actually one of my picks will touch on that. But yeah, Rails, it's nifty. I think it's here to stay. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, can it scale, though? I'm just being silly. (laughs) But moving on to my second pick. Interestingly, we seem to be bobbing and weaving here because I'm going to switch to something slightly less technical now. uh, The only one on my list. But that would be remote, working remotely. This is something that I had always sort of thought about. And I've certainly worked from home a few times, but I've never been a truly remote employee. And obviously, this year forced everyone into that mode. But for me, it was something that was going to be happening regardless. It was an experiment that I was going on, part of the adventure that I was undertaking this year. And I have really enjoyed a lot of it. It has been really interesting to me. And I don't know if it's something that I'm going to enjoy for the rest of my career. I also am really interested in the idea that it it sort of came along, I think, at the right point in my career. I think if I had started, if I was very early into working in tech, remote would have been really, really difficult because there were so many high bandwidth in-person conversations that I really benefited from. But now that... I think I know a little bit more what I'm doing and I'm able to occasionally just put my head down and crank out work, but still have video calls and things like that. It's really worked out incredibly well for me. And then getting back multiple hours a day of commutes is, turns out that will make a difference in your life. I had always sort of wondered if remote would work for me, but sort of thought it wouldn't because I, I think of myself as somewhat of a social creature, but I've been surprised about how effective it's been for me. And so it's been a really interesting experiment and one that I, I plan to continue into the foreseeable and also just seeing how the industry seems to be moving. Like I think 2020 for better or for worse was a tipping point on remote in tech. And I would be surprised if it didn't strongly continue into the future, even if some of the the reasons moved away. So I'm in a similar state where I have very much enjoyed going full-time remote. I have found that I am healthier and happier in this particular style versus like you mentioned, having to give up time commuting each day. And while it is really nice being with people, I have found that I tend to be more of a social developer. So even if I'm with a team that's less social, I'm still looking for ways to socialize and then maybe that's pairing or just Slack communication. So I've been fortunate in that area as well, where I still feel very connected to teammates also really appreciate that you acknowledge that like this felt like the right move or an okay move at the point of your career. Cause I also feel that way too. Cause a couple years ago, like I'd been very nervous to go remote. Cause I feel like I just won't have access to the people that I need. I won't get to overhear some of the conversations that I'm really interested in. So I feel for those who are in more junior roles who are then being forced into remote situations because not all teams have really adapted to that style just yet. So if you have juniors on your team, please look out for them right now, because I'm sure that this is more of a stressful situation for them than for others. 
And then, yeah, I've also looked for ways to level up my remote lifestyle. So I've gotten a few new uh, fancy toys, and that has also made a change where it's made it feel more comfortable working from home. Oh, fancy new toys. Like what? Uh, so there's two that really come to mind, you know, outside of all the mechanical keyboards. That's a trend we've had going for a while. <laughs> but my newest fancy toy, I have the Razer. I believe it's pronounced Kyo. It's K-I-Y-O. But it's a video camera. It offers video and illumination. It has an adjustable ring light that I've really enjoyed. So that way it brightens me up for calls. So that has felt really nice. I'm less worried about like... Uh, am I in a room with decent lighting and can people see me? It isn't geared for Macs. So that has been unfortunate because there's software that comes with this particular camera, but I haven't been able to use that software since it's really not built for Apple machines, but the camera itself still works really well. So it's just been plug and play and I've really enjoyed it. The other fun thing I have right now that I haven't shared with you is I have the upright, which is one of those devices where you put on your back and then it reminds you for slouching. Oh, I'm, you know, this totally isn't remote related at all, but here we are. (laughs) And it's the upright trainer. So uh, you put it on your back and then it vibrates or gives you a little buzz anytime that you're slouching for. You can set a timer if you want it to remind you every five seconds or 15 seconds. If you're slouching for 15 seconds, then it will let you know to just as like a gentle reminder to bring your shoulders back. And that's been nifty. Oh, those seem good. Definitely for me, like you said, that's not necessarily a remote one. But for me, not having a commute means I'm probably sitting at a computer a little bit more than I even was before. So both of those make sense. And yeah, the ring light, you definitely are are well illuminated in this moment, whereas I am not. So maybe I should upgrade. It's been pretty nice. You won't get to use the app with it, which is unfortunate. But if you're fine with that, you can just plug it in. Yeah, I think it's more for gamers who really want to adjust. Like you can change like the tint and then make sure it's like really crisp. And I'm just looking for I'm going for good. I'm going for good remote calls. (laughs) Good video chat. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Scout APM. Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails apps. I love opening it up to see a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before end users ever see them. With the weekly digest and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building great products by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues. Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints N plus one queries, memory bloat, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue. Give Scout a try for free today, and you'll have the performance insights you've been dreaming of within four minutes. Sign up through scoutapm.com slash bikeshed, and Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. So give it a try, and thanks again to Scout for sponsoring this episode of The Bike Shed. So next on my list, going for a less technical one, but a very important theme for me this year has been the importance and value of async communication and the different ways that it can be done really well and then other ways that it can feel painful. So this year, ThoughtBot has transitioned to using Basecamp more heavily for a number of our conversations and then questions and announcements. And that has felt like a very positive trend. There's a bit of a learning curve initially uh, because I was used to everything being in Slack, but I have found that once I adapted to using Basecamp, I've really enjoyed it. And I also really like knowing that when I propose questions via Basecamp, I'm not potentially bothering anybody because they can look at it on their own time. I also have more confidence they're going to see it versus in Slack. I know it can easily get lost. So async communication has been a very strong theme. And then improving those async communication skills is something that has been a focus of mine for this year. 
That's an interesting one that I feel like is sort of a whole idea and, and perhaps something that we should revisit because I would love to hear more of your thoughts and understand you know, where it's worked. And, and yeah, we should probably save that for a future episode because I want to know more about that. Sure. But yeah, to not dig too deeply into that and make sure that we're moving through our list at a reasonable clip, uh, the next one on my list, number three for me, is Svelte. So I've talked about this on the past few episodes, but it's been one of those technologies that I was sort of exposed to. I saw it repeatedly. It was referenced and I kept ignoring it, kept ignoring it. And then I don't know what it was, but there was finally something that caught my attention a little bit more. And then I did the thing that I do, which is now I've consumed basically everything on the internet about Svelte. I've watched all of the talks from the creator. I've read the entire docs. I've gone through the tutorial, watched the front end master's course, and each step further on that, I've just enjoyed more and more, especially in contrast to a lot of the other front-end work that I'd been doing. Svelte really just feels like it gets out of the way. I find everything very intuitive and straightforward, and I'm able to produce UIs that are both correct, which is very important to me, but also there's a little bit of whimsy. There's some animation. There's some some little niceties on top of it that are built into the framework, which is fantastic and still lightweight, as the name would imply but are, are very easy to add. They're additions. They're not fundamentally rethinking how I want to do something because now I want it to animate. So yeah, Svelte's been fantastic. And it's something that I plan to continue pushing on. And I'm really interested to see the, the state of JavaScript survey is currently going on. And I'm really interested to see it had a little bit of a bump between 2018 and 2019. But I really want to see what happens with it in terms of community adoption from 2019 to 20, because that will inform certain ideas about like how comfortable do I feel bringing this into larger teams and investing in it as a technology moving forward. But for my own personal use, that's basically where I'm at these days. I'm also really intrigued to see how that goes. I've also noticed a number of ThoughtBotters starting to show interest in Svelte as well. It's just something that I'm starting to see crop up in more conversations. So I'm excited for you to keep me posted since you're the one that brings all the fun, new, shiny toys to the show. It's what I do. So the next one that I have on my list, I included this one because I had a change of heart about this one. So I thought it would be fun to bring up. And that's regarding feature flags, where I've always appreciated feature flags. They've been great, but I've really liked them in a very minimal way where I want to use them as sparingly as possible because in the past I've felt a lot of pain around trying to maintain code that's hidden behind feature flags. And working with a client this past year, I've really changed my mind on feature flags where I found them very valuable. I definitely still felt some pain at times where you are having to maintain some older code and in favor to then roll out the newer code and be able to make the change. But then also the reward of being able to turn something off and on quickly and the testability of it, I really enjoyed. Also, the conversation that you and I had in a previous episode where you talked about having demo code in your application and being able to have that hidden behind a feature flag and then being able to write test for your demo code because that's also very, that's a very important part of the application. So I've had a change of heart about feature flags and where I really enjoy them. I still think it's something to proceed with caution in terms of like how long they live around and make sure that you have a good exit strategy in terms of how you're going to clean them up and then remove the unused code. But I'm in favor of feature flags. So I included them on my list. I like the way you frame that there with thinking about how long feature flags live around, because I think that's probably the way that they go bad is... There are all of these branches in your code and they live on forever and you're continuing to have to maintain them and all of that. But if you're able to not do that, I similarly have absolutely loved feature flags and use them to a lot of effect on one of the projects I was working on this year. And that, that was great. So yeah, feature flags, they're great. I do think there's a small bit that's worth surfacing about feature flags and one of the reasons that I've had a change of heart. And it's in watching how feature flags have helped teams have a calmer release process for new features. So regarding my perspective as a developer, I recognize that there is extra effort on my part 
I would often feel more negative towards the idea of feature flags and the ways they could go wrong. But the longer that I'm in the software game, the more I want things to be calm. So that's the other primary reason that I've really had a change of heart with feature flags. What's next on your list? Next on my list, very similar to your edition of Rails, where it's something you're sort of revisiting, coming back to. It's it's always sort of been there, but you know, doubling down, if anything. For me, that's been Postgres, PostgresQL. Postgres is the database that I've worked with by far the most in my career. Uh, by virtue of working on Heroku, it's sort of always been there. I've definitely been on projects with MySQL. I've worked with Mongo more than I would want. But at the end of the day, Postgres is probably the most common theme. But I think what's been interesting to me this year has been really leaning into it, really embracing the features that Postgres has, trying to capture more correctness in the database. So there are things like null constraints and foreign keys, which I've been using for years, but I've been finding more and more versions of that. Like generated columns I talked about recently, check constraints I got to use for the first time ever, I think this year. And those were another nifty addition, enums, uh, triggers, just all of these different features that allow me to really make sure that my data is as I expect it to be, as I know it must be. And yet somehow, if I don't have these constraints, the database always finds itself into a shape that doesn't match my intuition or beliefs about what's true in the world. So the more that I can encode that to be truly, truly correct at the lowest level, I found a ton of value in that. And it's definitely, you have to work around it. You have to be purposeful about it because the nature of a a database constraint failing will throw a certain type of exception in your application. You've got to be ready to handle that. But I found that that trade-off is absolutely worth it. And it's been something that I've just slowly pursued more and more. Oh, and window functions, man, those are great. Postgres is awesome. And Postgres is just one of many databases. And I think every feature I just listed is shared between many of them. But all of my experience with Postgres has been fantastic. And the little bits that I know about differences between database engines, Postgres seems like a great choice. So it's always felt like a good investment of my time to go deeper on Postgres. Yeah, I love that you included that one on your list, uh, because that was one that I had considered as well, but I didn't include it. So it's great. It's good that one of us got it on there. But yes, that, that can wrap up my ode to Postgres. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, ExpressVPN. So we all know how VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? So what's the best way to make sure that 100% of your data is encrypted so that no one can get a hold of your data? You guessed it, ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN creates a secure tunnel between all your devices and the internet so that everything you do online is encrypted. It reroutes your connection through a secure server, which blocks others from seeing everything that you do online. All they can see is that you're connected to an ExpressVPN server, but nothing beyond that. And it's not just for your phone or computer. ExpressVPN works on all your devices. It works on your tablets, smart TVs, and even your router, so your entire family stays protected. Plus, ExpressVPN is simple to use. Just open up the app, tap one button to connect, and that's it. Your data is your business, so protect it at expressvpn.com forward slash bike shed. Visit expressvpn.com forward slash bike shed to get three extra months of ExpressVPN protection for free. That's express, expressvpn.com forward slash bike shed to learn more. And thank you again to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's episode of the Bike Shed. And now on to you for your final pick for 2020. All right. Final pick for 2020. So this one may be a little surprising to you, but my final pick for 2020 is Elixir and Phoenix. I don't know if that's cheating doubling up there, but I feel like it's only fair to mention both. 
I still really enjoy writing Elixir and working with Phoenix. And while most of my 2020 has been working with Ruby and Ember, I've also spent some time working on a Phoenix project and it has reminded me how much I really enjoy writing Elixir. So I'm very interested in spending more time in 2021 working on Phoenix projects and I'm really hoping that works out. I've noticed that lately we tend to have a few more Phoenix specific clients and I'm really interested in those projects. So yeah, Phoenix is my top pick. It is something I really enjoy and plan to continue investing in. Wow. Uh, I am surprised. I don't feel like we've talked about Alexa or Phoenix much at all this year, or at least you and I haven't. I'm interested how you consider Rails versus Phoenix and Elixir, because I, I consider them in a very similar space, but I know there are some interesting aspects of Elixir with concurrency and, and things like that. So is it that sort of stuff that's drawing you? Is it is it just a different Rails and a different way to think about those sort of things? Like what's, what's bringing you there? Is it live view? We should talk about live view. <laughs> I think it is a fact that it is similar to Rails. That is one of the things I like about it is it still feels familiar. I can still make progress in it because that is something that's very important to me. I really like the new stuff, but in terms of client work, I really also enjoy knowing that I can be very strong in a particular area and make a, a big impact. So it is partially that it is similar to Rails, and I really enjoy that ease of going from Rails to Phoenix. But there's just there's enough functional programming and that use of a functional language that I really like and that shift from Ruby to Elixir that really draws me in that direction. So it's the comfort zone, but yet enough newness and also movement towards functional programming that drives me in that direction. I haven't actually gotten to play with Live View. Uh, that is something that I would love to tinker with, but I have heard really good things about it. And Herman Velasco, he has also been singing its praise. Herman's a developer here in the Boston office, also been a, a star on the bike shed a couple of times. Have you worked with Live View? It sounds like it's something that you're familiar with. I haven't worked with Live View, but it's one of a handful of technologies that I've been keeping an eye on. I'm really interested in how do we stay in the sort of monolithic server-centric code base, but still be able to do fancy stuff on the client side and sort of bridge that gap. And Live View is frankly one of the most interesting. It's got a really novel approach with WebSockets and calculating diffs over the wire. And I think it has the opportunity to be by far the most performant of this class of stuff. So just to summarize a few of the other ones, so there's Phoenix Live View. There's also Laravel LiveWire, which is very similar in name and frankly very similar in functionality, but exists in another ecosystem. And then there's Stimulus on the Rails side, and then actually coming to my final pick is Inertia JS. I find it interesting that it's got the .js at the end because I don't think of it as a JavaScript framework, even though it definitely has a JavaScript piece. But yeah, all of these technologies provide a way to still have a very server-centric application, but enhance that client-side experience, have animated transitions and fade-ins and fade-outs and modals and things like that, and sort of bridge the gap of, of what we need in applications without going 100% to a client-rendered API-driven application. So all of that said, inertia... Uh, spoiler alert, is my final choice. Inertia is a technology that I have been spending more and more time with over the year. I've started to bring it into a handful of production applications, both inside projects and then in actual uh, client code bases. And basically each step I go further with it, the more I like it. And especially as I'm considering all of those others, I really like the direction that Jonathan Rennick is taking the project in or sort of the foundational ideas that he has. Unlike all of the others that I listed, so LiveWire, LiveView, and Stimulus, Inertia feels like it is almost progressive enhancement. The Rails side of my code still looks very much like traditional Rails controller code. And the client side of my code still looks very familiar, if much less stuff going on, frankly, because I've been able to pull logic back to the server side. And Inertia just sort of sits in the middle, binds it together, and makes the experience 
better. It enhances it. It allows for animated transitions, all those other things that I listed that I really like. But again, that idea of progressive enhancements still having controller actions and still having HP status codes and all those nice things, just it's been fantastic. I want to continue working with it as much as possible because it really feels like a great solution. I'm still going to keep looking at all of those other technologies because I, as I do, I like to survey a category when I'm picking out things. But inertia is sort of my preferred way to build things. Uh, I think I hinted at this last week, but the combination of inertia, svelte, and tailwind with Rails, of course, has made me feel more productive than just about anything else that I've worked with in many, many years. So yeah, I'm a fan. I appreciate that you bring the more JavaScript focused knowledge just because that's an area that I haven't spent as much time and hearing you talk about it and talk about how productive you are and excited about it gets me excited. So I think we've got ourselves a pretty good list. It's kind of interesting. I was just thinking like, oh, do we need like something spicy in terms of like, are we going to try to make like some call for like 2021 of something we think it's going to be like a hot tech or some direction that the industry is going to go in. But then honestly, I'm thinking, you know, I could use some calmness in my life. I think the world could use some calmness. So looking over this list, I'm realizing it's a lot of like, what made this year stable and still productive with everything else going on? So I'm going to self-veto my idea of something spicy because I think 2020 has had enough spice. 2020 was almost entirely composed of spice. So let's have a nice, calm, relaxing 2021. But yeah, nonetheless, I have so enjoyed uh, getting to chat with you so many of these Fridays throughout 2020. And uh, hopefully the folks listening along have enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I have also really enjoyed hosting the Bike Shed. It has been so much fun. And it's been really nice to get to chat with you each week. And also thank you to everyone else who is listening and has joined us on these adventures and for all your kind notes and then also for submitting questions to the show. We really appreciate you and we look forward to chatting with you in 2021. So on that note, shall we wrap up? Well, let's wrap up. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm. This show is produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you enjoyed listening, one really easy way to support the show is to leave us a quick rating or even a review in iTunes as it really helps other folks find the show. If you have any feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at at underscore bike shed or reach me at svicari on Twitter. And I'm at Chris Toomey. Or host at bikeshed.fm via email. Thanks so much for listening to The Bike Shed in 2020 and we'll see you next year. See you next year. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.